The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwire.org.
worship you with our whole hearts.
church. So in the book of James chapter one, verse 14, we read this verse. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So I don't know how many of you guys out there like to shoot a bow, but shooting a, a bow, shooting archery is something that I like to do. I would probably go as far as to say it's a hobby of mine. Now, let's not mistake me saying that it's a hobby of mine by and confuse that with saying that I'm good because I'm not. No, there, there's a w- lot of people in this room that are a lot better than me. But nonetheless, I still love to shoot. Last weekend, we spent some time in the mountains, and I got to watch... Cody shoot and I got to watch him shoot his bow well before we competed we hadn't shot in a while so we took his bow up to the little archery range and he was shooting it and he was working on getting some things fine-tuned and you know it was quiet it was just Cody and I there was the people up there but Cody and I were working with each other, and, you know, in that still, small voice that God loves to use, he took that particular moment to speak to me, and he specifically asked me, how does shooting a bow parallel life? Well, I sat there, and I stood there, and I watched. And here's some things that God impressed upon me in that one moment. You know, in life, just as in archery, in order to be an accurate shot, in order to be accurate, in order to do, to do what you want to do and to go the places that you want to go in life, The first thing that you have to do is you have to have a firm, solid base on which to stand. There are times when Cody and Brandon are shooting and their shots start going awry and they start going here and there. And I tell them, sturdy up. Stand up and be solid on your feet. In order for us to, to walk through life, in order to, for us to walk through this life, we have to have a solid base. And that solid base is the, is the rock. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Point number two that he told me is... Like I said, there's times when Cody and Brandon are shooting that, you know, they they lose focus. And I tell them, hey, adjust your focus. And 
in the sport of archery, when I tell them to, to adjust their focus, what I'm telling them is they start worrying about what's going on over here and what's going on over there. And their eyes get real wide. Their vision gets real wide. And whenever I tell them to adjust their focus, I'm talking to them about shrinking down. Leave that stuff beside you. Leave it alone. Pinpoint your focus. But in life, there's times when we have to adjust our focus, too. You know, sometimes, as we can all attest to, life happens. And when life happens, we adjust our focus, and our focus shifts. And sometimes our shift in focus causes our faith to falter. And it causes us to stumble, and it causes us to veer off of the path. And if we adjust our focus, and we focus on the one true God... We'll get back on path, and things will start rocking and rolling again for us. The, the other lesson that I took is we can't live on the last shot. And I have to tell this to my athletes over and over and over again. You can't live on that last shot. You can't live on that last throw. You can't live in the past because nothing that I can do right now, nothing that I can say right now is going to change that shot. It's going to change that throw. But everything I do from this point forward is going to affect the next shot. It's going to affect the next throw. You have to live in the present and prepare for the future. We've got to get out of the past. The last thing and the most, the most pressing thing that he told me is when, when we shoot a bow, when we knock the arrow onto the string, in order for that arrow to go where it is supposed to go and to do what it is supposed to do, it has to be drawn backwards. An arrow cannot do its job if it is not drawn backwards. You know, sometimes we struggle. And sometimes we look at our struggles and we look at, at our hardships and we say, why me? Why? But if you stop and think, in order for an arrow to do its job, in order for God to use me the way he wants to, sometimes he has to draw us back. When we feel ourselves facing a setback, and sometimes those setbacks come setback after setback after setback, adjust your focus. Stand firm 
on the faith that you have in your in our Lord and Savior. And be confident in knowing that God is preparing you for something special. As we come to this table this morning, remember, God is preparing you for special things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder in small things that you use us in miraculous ways. Lord, thank you for allowing us to see that if our eyes are on you and our feet are firmly on you, Lord, we can conquer the world. But we have to do it through you. Lord, as we come to this table this morning, let us not forget that our eyes have to remain on you and your cross. Lord, thank you for your blessings. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you've ever been to church camp and you needed to memorize a verse, you found this one pretty fast. Um, that's how it was when we were growing up. You memorize your verse for Bible time, and you can get back out on the Bible, uh, back out on the basketball court. And so somebody had a Bible with a concordance. We found John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. We're out of here. See ya. All right. It, it was powerful. It was fast. It was easy. The sooner we memorized it, the sooner we were back doing what we want. But it kind of hit me recently. Why did Jesus cry? Why? Why did he weep in the story of Lazarus? Why was he sad at death? Was he hurting for his friends? I want to do a deep dive into the story of Lazarus. And again, many of you already know this story. It's been preached many times. We've read it many times. If you join me in John chapter 11, that's where we're going to be. If you're online or on the radio, join us in John chapter 11. We're not going to read every single verse. We're going to do a little jumping, so stay with us. Have your Bible open. We want to be a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. But I specifically want you to listen to what Jesus says. There are a few commands that Jesus makes. There are questions that he asks. And I want you to listen for those as we start in in John chapter 11. In verse 1, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now jump with me down to about verse 17. I promise you we're not skipping Details. We're just, I'm, I want us to get through this. Get, get down to verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. 
As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now jump down to a little bit more. We're picking up some of the more to the story. Get down to verse 32. I want to pick up there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And then verse 35, Jesus wept. So the, Lord, uh, so the Jews said, how, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind, man, blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you'd see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. All right, some of the backstory here is that Jesus was really close with this family. He stayed with them when he was in that area. In fact, this story tells us that Mary was the one that anointed him, uh, alabaster jar, we sing that song, wiped it with his feet. Problem. That happens in John chapter 12. We're in John 11. <laughs> that story hasn't even happened yet, and John's telling it. But I try to give John a little credit. You know, hey, it was 30 or 40 years after he died when he's writing this. Sometimes the timeline gets a little confused. It's still the same story. It is that person, and Jesus stayed with him. He was very close with them. Now, I had to go back and look in chapter 9 and 10, and Jesus is in the north part of Galilee, across the Jordan River, probably two to three days from Bethany. And depending on the situation, the girls said, hey man, our, our brother's dying, we better get word to Jesus. So they sent a messenger. They don't have email, they don't have uh, phone calls. They told a guy and he ran to tell him. Now, how fast he ran, we don't know. We don't know how long it takes, but there is a better than average chance that Lazarus was already dead before Jesus heard. Now, that's not a big deal, but it, you need to understand that fact that he was either very close to or had already passed. He hears this phrase, your dear friend is sick. Friends, I hope you hear this because he is a dear friend of Jesus, and yet he still had troubles. 
I'm afraid sometimes we get this idea about church. Oh, I'm going to go to church and all my life is going to be fine. doesn't happen that way. He guaranteed we would have problems in this world. It never guaranteed following Christ makes all of the problems and all of the distress go away. Sometimes, even when we walk with Him, we struggle. But when Jesus does show up in Bethany, Martha hits Him with the mom guilt and the, the, the guilt of you're too late. Please don't raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question. How many of us have said that to God? Now, you may be sitting there going, no, I haven't said that, but maybe it was in the privacy of your closet. Maybe you were driving in your car, and maybe you didn't say you're late, God. Maybe it came out something like this. God, how come you won't come through for me? How come it works out for everybody else? How come it's not working out for me? Do you hear that? It's very similar to what Martha was saying. And according to verse 6, Jesus stayed where he was. He heard he was sick and he stayed there two more days. In verse 21, Martha says it, and then later on Mary says it, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. This is yet another reminder that God does not work on our clock. We don't like it. But God does not pay one bit of attention to our immediacy. He doesn't, it is not on our clock. It is not on our time schedule that He works. He works on His time. But it's here that He starts making some statements and a question. Your brother will rise again, he says to Martha. And Martha immediately says, oh, yeah, 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 I know. At the end times, in sweet Beulah land, at the end of our lives, when everything comes to an end, there will be a resurrection. And Jesus makes this powerful declaration. I am the resurrection and the life. And there's a little question at the end of it. Do you believe? Now, Jesus is not asking Martha if she believes in the doctrine of resurrection. He did not say, I give a resurrection. He did not say, I promise there will be a resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. Present tense, I am the only resurrection, the only one. When Jesus makes this declaration, he is declaring his identity, friends, Easter and communion and the cross and the empty tomb, these are not just concepts. They're a person. They're a person that we walk with. Do you believe this? And I think he's asking the exact same question to you and me today. Do you believe? Because I think churches worldwide agree on the concept of resurrection. My question is, are we, as believers, living in the power of resurrection? Walking in the power of of resurrection. You sang it earlier, you called my name and I ran out of that grave. It's a great song. Is that all it is? It's just a song? Or do we believe that he calls us out of graves even today? And I hope you caught it in the video there at the beginning of the sermon. Trudging along, existing, 
trying to find our way, wondering where we're going. Hey, let's be honest, okay? It's hard to find our way in the month of May, true? There's a gazillion things going on. We're going 90 different directions all at, a, at the same time. We are wondering where we're going, but I'm wondering if sometimes <coughs> we are living lives that are not centered on the identity of Jesus, on who He is. We spent six weeks a few weeks ago looking at identity on our identity, but the identity of Jesus is he is resurrection and life. Martha, do you believe this? Portalis, do you believe that I am who I say I am? And then he makes the first of three statements that point to him. The first one happens in verse 39. It says, take away that stone. I'm not a three-point sermon guy, but there are three statements here that point to his identity. So I want you to stick with me on this. In verse 39, he says, take away the stone. When he's doing that, he's giving hope, and the very first thing that comes out is the voice of doubt. Do you notice that? Roll away the stone, but, 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 but Jesus, wait a minute. He's been in there four days. There's going to be an odor. This is one of my favorite ones to quote from the King James. The King James Version says, We cannot, for he stinketh. I'm not even making that up. Go look it up when you get home. It's awesome. I, I love it. And Martha's, Martha's comment was, If you would have been here. He's been dead four days. If you would have been here. What if, what if Jesus shows up and he's been there two days? Oh, he's only mostly dead then. Come on, and Princess Bride references are good. All right. he, was, he was only mostly dead. Let me ask you this. How many of you have heard the phrase, saved by the bell? And I'm not talking that dumb 90s show, okay? I, I'm, I heard the cliche, saved by the bell. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from Victorian times. In Victorian times, they would bury people fast, and I mean really fast. They didn't even let Scott see them. They just threw them in a hole and, and threw some dirt on them. Because they were dealing with cholera and plague, and they didn't want those things around. But they were discovering sometimes they were burying people too fast. They didn't have medical to know that, you know, well, his EKGs, beep, they didn't have a flat line. So they stopped breathing, and they threw them in a hole. But they figured this out, so they, they started for a period of time, they would tie a string to the hand of the dead person. And they would run that string up out of the coffin to a little stand, and it had a bell on it. And if that person woke up, he would shake it, and he would ring the bell. And then the caretaker of the cemetery could see or hear the bell, and he would go out there, and he'd dig it up, and, hey, you're actually alive. And here's the really creepy part. It actually worked several times. Uh, uh, I just kind of got the ooey's. Okay, but, but here's the other kicker thing about that. They would leave the bell on that stand for three days. You know why? Because after three days, you're dead, dead. Jesus comes and he's been dead, dead four days. Let me ask you a question. How long do you hang on before you lose hope? Four days? Forty-four days? 444 days? Maybe you're saying statements like this. I'll never lose the weight. We'll never get out of debt. 
We're never going to have kids. My son isn't coming back. My daughter's never going to straighten up. I'm divorced. No one's ever going to love me again. I'll never get over what they did to me. Our marriage, it's never going to get better. Friends, it is so very easy to lose hope when the evidence says he's dead. True? Jesus, he's dead. And the, the Christ of the resurrection is trying to get us to stop listening to our eyes. Stop listening to what we see. Stop listening to the things that are going on around us and decide. We've got to decide, do we really believe that Jesus is resurrection? Present tense. Is he really way maker, promise keeper, light in the darkness? Is he a God that makes changes in life? Because what he's asking us to do, he's asking us to step in the direction of that which we profess. Every time we've had a baptism, we've had three of them in the last three weeks, it's been awesome. We bring that person up here, not to embarrass them, but we ask them a question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you believe that he lived on this earth, died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and lives in heaven to give us hope and eternal life? And, you know, something along that line. Because Scripture says, if you confess me before man, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. That is our, our profession of faith. He's asking us, will we step in the direction of what we say? Will we put our money where our mouth is? Martha, you said you believed. Get rid of the stone. Do you really believe? 1 Peter verse one, chapter 1, verse 3 says, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope. The, the song that Franklin was playing there during communion is that is one of the songs that our praise team leads is living hope. It's not hope that things will get better. It's not hope that I'll try harder. It's not even positive mental attitude. It is passionate trust in who God is, in the character of Jesus. Do I trust, do I believe he's really who he says he is? Is he the resurrection and the life? He says the first command he made there is roll the stone away. The second one is the one we all know, Lazarus, come out. It's the, the one that we usually title the lesson. Uh, it was St. Augustine that first said it, but it has been co commented on by many an old-time preacher that said the reason he had to say Lazarus, come out, because if he had just said come out, all the dead bodies would have come out. I don't think he's wrong. <laughs> I, I think that's probably true. But let me ask you this. Did Lazarus make a conscious decision to get up? Did Lazarus work harder at getting up? Did Lazarus take an online class, Religion 222, the theory of getting up? No. Because he was dead. When you're dead, there is no hope. There is no power. And man, that should remind us we cannot do anything to save ourselves. You can amen that. It is our Savior that did it for us. But when you're dead, there is no hope. It doesn't matter if you're rich, dead, or poor, dead. Republican, dead, or Democrat, dead. Dead is dead, all right? 
If we don't have any hope, we cannot come out of that grave. But when Jesus commands Lazarus, listen to this. He says, Lazarus, come out. When he commands him to do that, in, within the words of the command, he gives him the power to obey the command. He gives him the strength to come out. My theory on all this is that Jesus is not overwhelmed at the idea of death. Bringing people back from the dead is not the challenge here. That is not is what overwhelms him. The challenge is in raising our level of faith in who he is. Our trust in who his identity is. That verse that Laurel read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. So powerful. Listen to it in, in the message. Write this down. Go home and read it in like 20 different versions. I promise you, it's powerful. Listen to this. God, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. He gives us living hope. Now, I'll tell you. I've probably heard, there's probably been hundreds of sermons about Lazarus. I've probably done dozens. And usually it hangs on that, uh, that Lazarus come out comment. But I'm embarrassed, embarrassed to say how many times I have often missed verse 44. The last command that Jesus makes. He makes this command in verse 44. Unwrap him and let him go. Unwrap him, let him go. Christopher Miller was arrested for armed robbery on March 22, 2014, in Toms River, New Jersey. He robbed a, a stride right shoe store. He went in, randed about a gun, uh, reached in there, took some cash out of the drawer, some card stuff, a couple of pairs of shoes, and ran out. Why is this important? Well, they found him a little while later in an alley. He had thrown the money towards the trash can. The shoes were sitting there right by him, and he was just waiting to be picked up. Here's the funny part. He was paroled from prison on March 21st, the day before. And he had been in prison for 15 years for robbing that exact same stride right shoe store 15 years earlier. What? You got out one day and you're doing, going back to it? And the sheriff that was interviewing, I was reading this article, the sheriff that, that arrested him, he did, not, he did not resist. He was ready to be taken in. He said, Christopher does not have any idea how to deal with freedom. He couldn't deal with freedom. He didn't know what to do. So he just went back to jail. He could not live free. Well, that's where my friends are. That's where my life is. That's how I know to live. So I'm just going to go back there. Friends, listen to me. Lots of Christ followers, I believe, are saved, sanctified, buried with Christ, raised into a new life, but they're still wearing their dead clothes. They're still enslaved by choices, haunted by habits, Wrecked by relationships that lead to dead thinking. I'm, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm saying these are believers. Maybe it's some in the room. Maybe it's some watching online that are listening right now that you believe in God and you lo love God and you have surrendered your life to God. But 
you're, you're going to heaven, but you're living through hell. Because we are wearing our stinking, dead grave clothes. I'd like you to tune in really close for the next two minutes. I'd like you to really hear what I have to say because maybe it's to someone in this room. Maybe it's to somebody listening online or on the radio. But I want you to hear this. God sets you free from something to do something. You need to change your clothes. Listen to me now. You need to go to AA. You keep saying, I can beat this bottle. I, I can handle this. I've got it under control. But we got lots and lots of evidence that says you, ha- you haven't beaten it and you can't beat it. You're going back to dead things, dead clothes and dead lives. Get help and get out. Teenagers and maybe some adults. You need to cut some of those friends loose because they're pulling you down. They're pulling you into dead clothes and dead lives and dead habits. But Don, if I do that, man, I'm not going to have any friends. They might laugh at me. They, they might. I'm not going to lie to you. They might laugh at you. But this is your soul we're talking about. This is eternity. Death or life. Adults. Some of you need to change your attitude. Oh, you come to church, you sing songs, we praise God. But the glass is always half empty or three quarters empty. It's always a problem. It's always their problem. I did everything right. It didn't work out the way I wanted to, so it was their fault. You hearing me? And we're always finding somebody to blame. God is saying, change your clothes. I don't want to gripe, and I'm not trying to point fingers. I'm saying, God spoke to Lazarus, and He's saying the same thing to us. We sing, yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Will we? I'm afraid too many Christians, too many Christians, the cross is powerful enough to save, but it's not enough to free you. So here's the question. Do you believe that Christ is the resurrection? The life, the game-changing force. Friends, hear this. You don't get free of all your junk and then come to Jesus. Well, get all your stuff cleaned up and then you can come to church. Uh-uh. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and let Him do the cleaning. Now, for those of us that have been here a long time, if people are coming in here, we need to love them. You hearing me? Because they may not be perfectly clean. And they may not have lifestyles that we perfectly love. we got to look at them and say... That's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. You tracking with me? We love people where they are. I was a, most of you know I was a youth minister before. I, I, I did a lot of dumb things when I was a youth minister. I had a lot of dumb ideas. But I had this great youth pro, program one time. And 
spoiler alert, it didn't work. All right, but it was really great in my head. Okay, it was one of these. I had this brilliant, brilliant idea. I was going to get this sack of potatoes, and and a bag of sharpies. All right, and I had all these teenagers in here, and I got these potatoes, and I mean like Idaho bacon potatoes, plain old potatoes, right? And I passed them all out. Everybody gets a potato. I want you to write your name on it with a sharpie. Okay, and then I want you to write the initials, not the names, the initials of people that have harmed you, have hurt you. Maybe it has a couple on there. Maybe it has 20 on there. I don't know. And then you give them back to me. Here's my idea. I'm going to take all those potatoes back, and we're going to revisit this in five or six weeks. Some of you are ahead of me. I'm going to take that bag, and I'm going to throw it in the back of my pickup for a month. Ah, your moms are already jumping on this wagon. See, it was brilliant in my head. Uh, it, it really worked up here, but it didn't. It didn't work in practice. I was going to take these these potatoes, and they'd long since forgotten about them, right? And you know, maybe I'll bury them in the backyard for a little while, and then, like six weeks later, I'm going to show up at youth group with this bag of potatoes. How happy is that room going to be? All right. Then I'm going to take these potatoes out, and I'm going to pass them out to everybody, and I'm going to invite them to take them home and put them on their shelf like a trophy. How many of you moms are going to let them do that? Good grief. No, why? It stinks, all right? They're going to have those little things crawling out of the side. They're yellow in, in the bag. The bags are going to have that brown goo at the bottom of it. You know? oh, it's going to reek. They'll never get that smell out of there. Stick with me. I started this whole thing by saying, why did Jesus cry? Why did Jesus cry at Lazarus' death? Was it that he missed his friend? Was it that he was sad about death? Well, he clearly said he won't end in death. This is to prove the glory of God. He knew what was going to happen. Why did he cry? I used to say maybe it was because of Mary and Martha. He was close to them, and he was crying. He was compassionate with them, and that might be true. But what if? What if Jesus is crying because he sees what sin does to God's perfect world? You realize Jesus was there when God was creating, when he was putting it all together. He saw Eden the way it was designed. That's what we were all designed for. Do you know that? We were all designed to live in Eden. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own, right? That's the way it was always designed. But Jesus looks and he sees what sin has done to God's perfect creation. Eden was never designed for cemeteries and cancer wards. It was never meant for Abortion clinics or divorce court or rehab centers. Now, friends, I am very thankful for rehab centers. I'm very thankful for cancer wards. I'm very thankful for, for people that jump in and help. But let's be honest. Sin stinks. It smells. It rubs off on everything. Smelly, decaying world is not what we were built for. But you see, Jesus gives hope. When he comes in, he says, roll that stone away. Lazarus, get out of there. Unwrap him and let him go. He's saying, I give hope to break chains. I want to break you free of the chains that you have had. The cycles of sin. 
You understand that when we say the cycles of sin, that generational sin? Did you hear the words today? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me to come to the altar, to lay it all down. I believe that Jesus is the resurrection. Amen? He gives life. He gives hope to break you free from whatever it is you're dealing with. And I pray that you believe that today. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.